Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Just describing my household at the moment. Um, but yeah, great, great to be with you. Great to open up Deuteronomy. I'm going to pray for us as we hear from God tonight. So let's do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who speaks. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are the God who saves, who changes us, uh, who's brought your spirit uh, so that we might be a different people. Uh, you are the God who is compassionate and kind and gracious. And you're the God who wants what is best for us. Uh, Lord, help us to see these things tonight. Help us to see Jesus more brightly, to love him more. Uh, to look to him as Lord and Saviour even more tonight. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, have a look at these photos of people and just talk to the person next to you. What do these people have in common? 30 seconds, person next to you. What do these people have in common? Have a think. All right, guys. Time's up. End of quiz. What do you want to say? They've all had their photos taken. They've all had their photos taken. Someone said this morning they're all people. They all need Jesus. That's a great answer. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I was thinking, but it's a great answer. That's true. Yeah. They'll all die one day. All right, let me tell you who they are, because it's a little bit interpretive. I tried to get, find a picture of a person who's sick, elderly, someone who's in debt, someone who's a worker, a child, a foreigner, an orphan, a widow, someone who's poor, someone who's homeless. Does that help you? Oh, and someone who's indigenous, First Nations person. I want to say they're all vulnerable people. Uh, they're all vulnerable people. And what is a vulnerable person? Uh, he, here's what our, um, our safe ministry policy says here at SALT. Vulnerable person is someone in need of special care or protection due to their age, their disability, or because they're at risk of abuse or neglect. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, what is the unique way that we as God's people are to treat the people who are marginalised, who are defenceless, who are weak, who are the vulnerable. There's been lots of talk about uh, the vulnerable in the last few decades. Um, if you're older than probably 40, not, not many of you, um, back in 1995, there was a, a Royal Wood um, Commission, a Wood Royal Commission, sorry. Um, it was an investigation in what's gone wrong in our institutions in Australia such that children have been abused. Uh, it led to some great outcomes, some child protection legislation and policy. Uh, and so when I first started at Bible College, they were talking to us about protecting children in our ministries because they are vulnerable and things have often gone wrong in loving and protecting them. Now, more recently, it's been really helpful to recognise that vulnerable people are also adults, a whole range of people who are adults are also vulnerable people that we need to love, care, protect, as well as children. 
Now, here we are in the book of Deuteronomy. This is 3,500 years old, and it's not surprising, God's way ahead of us. Uh, there's some wisdom here. Now, let me, let me give you a bit of a, a, uh, a context here, especially if you've just joined us tonight. What is, what's happening? God is speaking through his leader, Moses. Uh, Moses is addressing God's people, uh, Israel. They're on the, the verge of the promised land. And here is Moses saying, uh, speaking God's word, here is the kind of community I want you to be as God's people as you hit the promised land. What we're going to see is God is concerned about power imbalances. He's concerned for the weak. He loves the poor, the sick, the vulnerable uh, amongst his people. And so what's it all about tonight? It's all about Israelite, how you are to treat your fellow Israelite, the foreigner among you, uh, the orphan, the widow, and in particular, the one who owes you money uh, or the one that works for you. So there's a bit of an economic flavour to this chapter, you'll notice. So have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 24 or your phone there. Uh, let's have a look at it together. And I want to outline, here's where we're going to go. Uh, first part, what are the laws for Israel in the Old Testament? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Second part, what difference does Jesus make? And then thirdly, we'll finish with what are some reflections for us as this applies to us. So first part, laws for Israel, Deuteronomy 24. Uh, Let's start by asking not what they are, but why are they there? Uh, Why does God say these things about the vulnerable? I want to point out six things. Um, So follow me with these things. Four of them in the passage, two of them... Uh, not in the passage, but in the earlier part of the Bible. So the first one is, flick over to chapter 26. It's all about who Israel is. So chapter 26 and verse 16. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws, carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to him, that you will keep his decrees, commands and laws that you will listen to him. Do you hear what, what it is? It's you are God's people. You, you've committed yourself to following his ways. You are to listen to him because you are God's people. And the Lord has declared this day, verse 18, that you are his people, his treasured possession, as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He's declared that he will set you in praise, fame and honour high above all the nations he has made and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he's promised. You're going to be a a holy nation, a a nation set apart. You're going to be famous for the way you treat vulnerable people, the weak, um, the marginalised. That's the first one, who you are as God's people. Second one is, uh, back in chapter 24, notice in verse 7, he says, you are to purge the evil from among you. We've heard that phrase a little bit throughout Deuteronomy first thing to notice is God calls the abuse of the vulnerable evil. And he says, you are to purge the evil from among you, completely get rid of it. Uh, There is no place for abusing the vulnerable in my community. You must eradicate evil in my community. So purge the evil from amongst you. That's why these laws are here. Thirdly, uh, it's remembering your history. 
Uh, so look at verse 18 and look at verse 22. They're the same, same phrase repeated. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do these things. So uh, remember how God has treated you with immense kindness and grace and mercy and now do that towards other people. How can you call yourself the people of great mercy and kindness and not treat the vulnerable with mercy and kindness? You were once the vulnerable. You were once the slave in Egypt. Now you treat the vulnerable amongst you with grace and mercy and compassion. In other words, you be like me, a kind, gracious, uh, compassionate God who loves to show mercy on the vulnerable. And then fourthly, uh, verses 13 and 15 There's this sense, uh, Israel, remember that everything you do, you do before God who who cares and watches you. Uh, It's not just a matter of what you can get away with. Uh, It's not just a matter of what is popular. It is God sees and God cares. Loving God means doing it his way because he sees all that you do. Now, that's the first four in the passage. I reckon there's two more that sit behind this passage that actually come from the book of Genesis, so the first book of the Bible, uh, which is really foundational about what, uh, what's the nature and character of humanity. And, and so the fifth one I've got here is human beings are made in the image of God. That is assumed here. So human beings are different from the rest of creation. Uh, God set them apart to be made in his image, to be rulers in his world, under him the, 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 the key ruler, uh, people that will relate uh, to one another and, and to the rest of the animal kingdom and even rule over it, people who are responsible for their actions, called to work in the creation and look after the garden and, and God's creation, people for whom their life is precious to God, that, has a, that, that is a massive backdrop uh, for this part of the Bible. And then this, the last one is, this passage assumes human sinfulness. So that's Genesis chapter 3. It assumes that something's gone drastically wrong from Genesis 1 and 2 when we were made in God's image. We're still made in God's image, but now we've said no to God and that has a profound effect on the way that we treat one another. In fact, I think putting it in terms of abuse an abuser and victim and vulnerable people, I think what it's saying is that humanity has a bent towards abusing one another. Uh, I think that's the way the Bible would put it. Uh, And it's not just that some people are abusers and some people are victims. Actually, everyone is a potential abuser and everyone is a potential victim in God's fallen world where we are sinful human beings who've rejected God. Otherwise, none of these laws would need to be said, would they? But that's why Moses says them. So let's have a look at these laws. And what you're going to notice, there's, there's eight of them. We, we won't pick up on all of them, but most of them. What you'll notice is um, it's all about putting boundaries in place to protect people. And so as we go through them, it's worth thinking about what is the boundary that's been put in place? Who or what is that trying to protect Uh, as we get to the bottom of what's the purpose of this law. So have a look with me, verse 6, the first one there. Do not take a pair of millstones, 
not even the upper one as security for a debt because that would be taking a person's livelihood as security. So when, you, uh, when someone owes you money, you'll want to take something as security for that debt just in case they don't pay you. That's fair enough. But what's the boundary in place here? Don't take something that is their livelihood, that they lean on, that they depend upon to make their livelihood they lean on for their, their very life. Uh, that's what the millstone was. Uh, I didn't know what a millstone was, but it's, it's two stones, upper and lower, uh, designed to crush grain uh, so they might make bread, basic food for their household. Um, if you take that, uh, they won't be able to produce food, they won't be able to eat, they'll starve, they'll potentially die. And so what have you done? If you take that as security, you've actually treated the debt as more important than the person. Yeah? You've actually said, chasing my money is more important than your welfare, than loving and caring for you. Uh, that might say something about you and money, that you love money more than people, that you are greedy. Uh, it's not saying don't recover your debt to the Israelites, but don't recover it at the expense of someone's life. Don't, cover it, don't uh, recover it at the expense of harming someone's welfare and livelihood. Uh, that would not be loving them. Similar idea in verse 7. If someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and, and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. So again, if someone owes you money and they're unwilling to pay you back or they're unable to pay you back, what's going to be your temptation? Desperate for your money, you're going to be tempted to force them to pay, to even physically capture them and make them work for you. Uh, but then in chasing the debt, what are you doing? You're taking away their freedom. You're taking away their dignity. You're taking away their responsibility to actually work and make that, um, earn that money so that money might be returned to you. Um, you can't, in other words, you can't justify violence for the sake of recovering a debt. Uh, continuing the economic theme, look, look down in verse 10. Uh, when you make a loan of any kind to your neighbour... Uh, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbour to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. What's, what's the boundary at that point? The boundary is their house, isn't it? So there again, they owe you money. Uh, they've offered a pledge, something as security. Don't go into their house to get that item, that piece of security, because what's going to happen? They're going to be intimidated by you or you're going to be tempted to intimidate them or you're going to be tempted to be heavy-handed or you're going to coerce them. Uh, it's going to be an awful situation for them. So let the debtor come out by agreement. Here's what I offer you as my security. Uh, that would be a loving thing to do. And there's particular consideration if the debtor is poor. Look at verse 12. If the neighbour is poor... Do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbour may sleep in it. And notice again, the well-being, the daily needs of the person are, are what's important. Um, so in economic terms, you're entitled to the security. 
uh, you're entitled. The, the cloak is the only thing they've got, the most expensive thing you've got, so you've, you can hold on to that for the day. But in compassion, give it back to them because that's the very thing that will keep them warm overnight. Uh, have compassion. And then look down at verse 14. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you would be guilty of sin. Can you see, see what the principles are behind there? Again, they are poor, they are, they are needy, they need their pay the end of that day. Uh, what's the principle there? Every person deserves to have their daily needs met. Uh, work is encouraged, uh, even to pay off a debt. Uh, but people's well-being is, is important to God. Now look at the last one, verse 19. It's about having compassion on the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. There's three vulnerable kinds of people, right? The foreigner, you could say, could be a refugee. Who knows what they are fleeing from, from another country. Um, or even if they've come into Israel, they are not understanding the culture, what's going on. They're, they're vulnerable people. Or the fatherless, uh, who no longer has parents to love and protect and care for them. Or the widow uh, in their culture, how uh, they had no husband to provide for them or care for them or protect for them. They, they are a vulnerable person. And, and what is it saying? Look at, look at verse 19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back over it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. So it's put in agricultural terms. As you're going through your harvest, don't collect 100%. You go through, you've realised we've actually left 10% behind. That's okay. That, that's your generous gift to the poor who don't own a vineyard, who come along and that's their life, that's their food, that's how they survive. In other words, don't be stingy, be generous uh, because the poor amongst you will benefit from your generosity. Uh, don't, don't collect all of your profits, uh, don't go to the maximum, leave something for people who are vulnerable. Uh, and you'll also be giving them an opportunity to work uh, as they collect food for themselves. That is a really good thing. Now, how good would it be if all of this happened? How good would it be if uh, people were consistently generous and caring for the vulnerable, loving the poor, respecting people who are in debt, uh, not coercing, not intimidating... How good would our world be if that's just the way it was 100% of the time? Can you imagine a world uh, where there is no abuse, where there is uh, no one controlling someone else, when everyone respects the humanity of huma everyone's humanity, when everyone recognises they're made in the image of God? That would be an awesome world, wouldn't it? 
Who, who wouldn't want that kind of world? And I've got to say, as I read through those things, I doubt whether many of those things were new to you. Uh, surely most of those things you'd say, well, of course you'd do it that way. Um, did I really need to tell you not to kidnap someone? Uh, maybe um, not to intimidate or use violence or coerce. We feel the temptation when we're feeling something that's really taken from us. But do you need to be told that people are more important than money? Well, it depends on what your assumptions are, doesn't it? Uh, we live in a Western culture where there's so, there's so many Christian assumptions uh, that even though uh, we've got some uh, famous atheists uh, preaching atheism uh, and our culture's moving further away from God, we're still at that stage where we've got a Christian hangover. So we live with lots of Christian ethics such that you read a passage like this and you go, well, of course you do it that way. Of course you don't abuse people. Now, things are eroding, aren't they, as we move further away from God in our culture. Uh, but as we do that, uh, and let's pray that that doesn't happen, continue to happen, because the more we do that, the worse we will treat people. And why is that? Because there is a strong link between loving and honouring God and loving and honouring people. Uh, and it, it is true that by, by, God's, by God's grace, uh, you can hate God and still be kind to people. Isn't that awesome that God, in his kindness, allows that to happen? And of course, it is true that you can profess to love God and honour God and treat people inappropriately or even appallingly. Uh, that's the world we live in. But the principle is there in Scripture, loving God should lead to loving and honouring people. Uh, do you remember in, in the book of Acts, if you know the Bible well, it's the story of the early church. And do you remember Saul persecutes the church? So he goes around killing Christians. Jesus appears before him. And what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In other words, when you persecuted my people, you persecuted me. Uh, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. What you, the way you treated my people is the way you treated me. Uh, it's the same in Matthew's Gospel. We'll, we'll see that as we come back to Matthew's Gospel next year. Uh, Jesus says at the end of the time when judgment comes, uh, he'll separate the sheep from the goats, those who love and know him and those who, who have rejected him. And many will say, when did we love you Jesus or when did we reject you Jesus and Jesus says when you love the poor brothers and sisters amongst you when you cared for the vulnerable you were actually loving me and when you ignored the vulnerable and ignored the poor brothers and sisters he's talking about the church you're actually ignoring me the way you treat people the way you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ is actually the way you're treating Jesus the way you love God is the way you, is a reflection of loving you, the way you love people as well. And you've got to ask the question: There's so much assumption going on in our culture, but not everyone thinks that people are more important than money. That's a Christian way of thinking. Uh, not everyone thinks it really matters how you treat your workers. What if you get a more profit? 
Uh, what if you get a better outcome? These are Christian assumptions. Now, have a look, listen to this guy, uh, Richard Dawkins, probably the most famous uh, atheist of our time. Here's what he says about human beings. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. There is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now, do you think if you have that view of humanity, that view of our world, it would lead to loving, caring and protecting the vulnerable? I don't think so. If we are just DNA, if we are just atoms colliding and there is no purpose and there is no God uh, who made us in his image, if humanity is not precious before God, if there isn't a judge, if there isn't a God who's shown love and mercy and kindness and calls us that way, what does it matter how you treat people? These things make a massive difference to the way we treat people. Have you ever wondered why uh, so many charities were started by Christians. Uh, partly it's because we live in the Western world and we're, we're so influenced by Christianity. Uh, but if you look at a lot of charities, I'd say most charities, you'll see that even if they're not proclaiming to be Christian at this point, in their history they've got Christian roots. Um, sometimes that's uh, quite explicit in their, as they say, their history. Sometimes it feels a little bit hidden. But it's actually deep down in there, there's someone who was a Christian who said it's completely appropriate that we love the vulnerable, that we care for the poor, that we have compassion on the homeless, that we love the sick, uh, that we protect the abused and the orphan. That makes total sense of a Christian worldview. And so I'm going to set up this charity. And have you ever wondered why there are so few atheist charities? Now, you might come back to me and tell me what some of them might be, but um, what I'm talking about is a charity, I'm not talking about atheists joining in on charity work, I'm not talking about uh, charities that have lost their way from Christian roots, I'm talking about a charity that is built on atheism and the foundation, foundational principles and beliefs of atheism. I really had trouble finding one as I was searching this week, but I did come up with Non-religious charities, of course, uh, charities that have no affiliation with religious uh, organisations. And one of the ones that came up, in fact, it is the best non-religious charity, it won the award in Australia, um, and it's Save the Children. So it's actually the organisation that's closest to us here at Salt, just up here near the car park. Um, they've got a clothing store there. I've actually donated to that store. They do a fantastic job uh, protecting caring for vulnerable children across Australia and then it's actually a worldwide organisation. So there's, there's a free plug for, for Save the Children. Um, but really interesting history about this charity. They were founded in 1919 by this lady, uh, Eglatine Jeb, um, who wanted to protect children in the aftermath of World War I. Uh, so many orphans, so many children... Um, affected by the war. Extraordinary lady, her nickname was White Heat, which is not a very politically correct name, but she was just absolutely focused, we must do this, we must love and care for, the, for these children. 
She founded the um, Declaration of the Rights of the Child, uh, which was picked up by the United Nations in 1959. And then in 1989, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child was built on her work uh, back in the early 20th century. And the more I read about her, I thought, I wonder whether she's a Christian. Uh, This is such a Christian thing to do. And it wasn't super clear that she was, but she certainly grew up uh, in the UK with a Christian worldview. Uh, She went to Oxford University. She taught in a Christian school. And the Church of England actually has a day in their liturgical calendar where they remember her for the wonderful work that she has done to protect children. Now, where did, where did Israel go wrong as they went from here? They went out into the Promised Land. Uh, hundreds of years later, what's, what's happened to Israel? How have they gone with these laws? Well, they found themselves rejecting God and treating people appallingly. So what's life like in Israel hundreds of years on? It is a world, a culture of appalling social injustice. So what's happened to Israel as you get through the Old Testament? uh, The kingdom's divided. They come under God's judgment. What's happened? They've turned from the living God. They've turned to the Baals. They've turned to the gods of the nations. That has a massive effect on the way they treat people. As they turn to the Baals, those gods have a very different view of humanity. Those gods have very different expectations of the way you treat one another. Remember in Deuteronomy, it's the Baal worshippers who sacrifice their children to the fire, who abuse temple prostitutes. And so when the prophet Amos comes to the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, right before their judgment's about to hit, he not only says to them, here's your last chance to turn back to God, but he calls them on their appalling treatment of people. Listen to, listen to Amos' words, Amos chapter 2. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor and as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They've done the exact opposite of what God called them to do as, they, as he calls them to love the vulnerable. Now what's the problem? What do the, what do the prophets of the Old Testament realise the problem is? The problem is the human heart. God has been clear, there is his law, and the prophets long for a day when God's people want to love him and keep his commands and love one another. So listen to Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of of Israel, with the people of Judah. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah longs for that day where God writes his law on people's hearts by his spirit so that they want to love God and they want to love one another and they want to love the vulnerable. It's why John the Baptist, when John the Baptist turns up in 
Luke chapter 3, as we heard read out, what does he say? Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Your king is coming, Jesus. Get ready. And that will have a profound effect on the way that you treat other people. You need to turn to Jesus, your king, and... What does he say? Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. You need to radically change the way you treat other people. Tax collectors, don't collect any more than you're required to. Don't extort money from people. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay because now you're living with Jesus as king. How does it all happen? Well, it happens because of Jesus' death and resurrection Uh, Jesus paying for our sins, cleansing us, the the Spirit of God coming within hearts to change us, to give us the freedom to love God's way. And does it make a difference? It does make a difference. Uh, So in Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Spirit-filled community, that church in its infancy, what do they do? They get together and they share possessions with one another. They care and give generously to those who are in need in their community. It has an effect on the way they see the poor, the needy, the vulnerable. They've realised God has been extraordinarily merciful to them in Jesus. That is the way they are to treat their brothers and sisters. And so James says, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans, and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. You can't love Jesus, experience his kindness and mercy and compassion, and not have compassion and mercy and kindness towards the vulnerable. God loves the vulnerable. He loved you, the vulnerable, and now he wants you to love them as well. But it's not perfect, is it? So you look at the rest of the book of Acts, and we live in this age where Jesus is, is now our king and yet sin still reigns in our bodies. Uh, we're yet to be perfected and so until Jesus comes again, we will do this imperfectly. Uh, we will disappoint the, uh, the vulnerable and the poor and the oppressed. We're actually to expect sin and brokenness uh, we, we should expect Christians to be different, but not perfect. And so what does that mean? We need to, what do we need to do? We need to all keep repenting. We all need to keep coming back to God and, and asking for forgiveness for the way that we've dishonoured him and the way that we've treated others. Uh, we need to keep forgiving those who've sinned against us. And we also need to keep protecting the vulnerable right up until Jesus returns. Well, what does this all mean for us? I want to say it, has, uh, a hu- it should have a huge impact on the way we think, the way we act, the way we, what we give our money to, and the way we vote on a whole lot of things. Let me give you a few, a few of them. Uh, the way we... Think, act, give, vote on refugees, asylum seekers. Uh, There's a vulnerable group. Um, The way we think about wages, uh, people who work for us, minimum wages. Uh, What what does it mean to be an employer, uh, have people working under you? Uh, Workplace safety, 
uh, it has implications for the ethics of shopping, doesn't it? That the, the company that I'm buying this product from, how do they treat, as much as, as far as I can tell, how do they treat their workers? Uh, is the clothing I've got cheap because they've mistreated people in another country or even in our country? I don't want to be part of that. Uh, it affects your attitude towards tax and social security benefits. Because what's tax for? Tax is for, to help those who can't help themselves. Uh, we have a different attitude towards tax and social security. Um, it affects how we think about uh, recovering debt uh, personally or nationally and the way we treat people who are in debt to us. It affects justice and support and protection for victims of sexual abuse and domestic violence. It means um, compassion towards those who are disabled. A whole lot of things. And it means we need to... Um, Consider and protect the vulnerable in our church as well. Uh, it's why we have safe ministry policy. It's why we have safe ministry um, supervisors. We want to model this. We want to be good at this within our own community. And then we want to think about it and make a difference in our wider community. Now, let me, um, let me finish with uh, one last thing. I want to talk to you about um, an, an important issue that's coming up in our nation called The Voice. Have you guys heard about The Voice? I'm not talking about the singing show, uh, but The Voice to Parliament, uh, which is about giving a voice uh, to First Nations people uh, in Parliament. Um, so there's... Uh, and so it's a, it's a change. We're going to vote on a change in our constitution. Uh, it's going to happen later in this year, and all of us are going to need to vote on it. Uh, is that what we want to see happen to our constitution? Uh, and as you think about Indigenous people, there is an incredibly disadvantaged people group. Uh, there is a marginalised group. There is a group that's been appallingly treated throughout our, our history uh, of our nation. Uh, and I reckon if you were to ask the majority of Australians, if you were to ask your friends, your family, your work colleagues, I reckon most people would say, wouldn't it be awesome to make amends for the way we've treated Indigenous people in the past? And wouldn't it be awesome to improve the life of Indigenous people in our country? I think we've got to that point as a nation where we think that's a good thing. But we're going to have to vote on, will, the consti- will a change to the Constitution achieve that? That's what, that's what this is about. Um, and so it's interesting in the context of today, isn't it, uh, here is a change to our constitution, a law. Um, will that make a difference to Indigenous people? Uh, and we've already seen uh, tonight, laws have their place, but what's more important than law, it's a change of heart, isn't it? The law is going to be pointless, the constitutional change will be pointless, if we haven't changed our hearts towards the marginalised, if we haven't changed our heart towards the oppressed, if we haven't changed our heart towards Indigenous people, if we can't understand them, empathise with them, um, the law change won't make any difference at all. And so it is a question of the heart. Uh, as I heard one per- person say, it's, it's, it's going to be good to give a voice to the Indigenous people, but even more important than that, will we listen to that voice? Uh, that's really profound, isn't it? Will we listen and empathise with, with what they tell us. 
And as we've seen tonight, it's actually God who changes hearts, isn't it? And so there's, there's so much talk about hearing the voice of the vulnerable, and that's, uh, that's incredibly important. But who, whose voice is it that has the power to change our hearts so we actually listen to the vulnerable and care and do something? It's God's voice, isn't it? God's voice is powerful to change our hearts. So there's something to say. But here's another thing. Uh, as we have this conversation, uh, have you noticed, or let me ask you this, what do you, what do you, what do you feel, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, one of the things I can see is already happening is that we continue on this, this path of doing really poorly uh, in disagreeing with one another. Uh, have you noticed this? Um, and so what, what happens is the, you've got the yes people and the no people and people keep playing the man, not the ball, to use a sporting analogy. And so rather than talking about the issue, what will be best for Indigenous people, we take pot shots at the person that we disagree with because they're in the yes or the no, and we call them racist, and we write them off, and we don't have that meaningful, calm conversation. We actually hear one another uh, and what, what one another's got to say. So you've got... People who would say, if you don't vote yes, uh, well, then you're a racist. Uh, and, it, and then the people who, who want to vote for no would say, well, you're uh, racist if you vote yes because you're changing the constitution based on race. Uh, and we've got to come to that point where uh, you can love and care for Indigenous people if you vote yes, and you can love and care for Indigenous people if you vote no. Uh, we're talking about what will make a difference for Indigenous people. Uh, throw in an online conversation, uh, have all those conversations through social media, and what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, beware, be different, be the person who shows grace, kindness, humility, uh, model to other people that you can listen, that you can disagree, uh, and I hope you can say that you love Indigenous people and want what's best for them, um, whichever way you vote. So there you go. I haven't told you how to vote, but but I have told you how to have the conversation. Let's let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the reminder. You are the God of great compassion and kindness and mercy. Uh, you are the God who's had incredible uh, compassion on us that you have saved us and forgiven us in Christ, that you have changed us by your Spirit. Uh, Lord, please forgive us when we haven't treated the people that you have made in a way that pleases you, when we've dishonoured you by not loving those who are vulnerable. Father, please forgive us. Father, please change us, help us to love, to have compassion, to have mercy on those who are needy, who are marginalised, uh, who, are, who are abused. Uh, Father, we pray for your heart um, as we love those both within our own community uh, here at Salt, but also as we love those in our wider community. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.